My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, welcome and happy Easter to all of you. A special welcome to those of you who are in the narthex standing um, and to those of you in the Learning Center and those of you down in the Center for Faith and Life in the basement. Uh, I hope you can see and hear okay. And welcome to all of you in the sanctuary as well. We're delighted to have you all here. Um, as I've been reflecting on my message for today, uh, there have been a couple of events that have happened that have sort of uh, set the direction for it. Um, one of them happened a couple months ago. I was chatting with a number of people, and the topic of Easter came up. And one of the individuals uh, volunteered that she used to work for Hallmark. And, true story here. And she said, every year at Easter, Hallmark gets a lot of letters of complaint asking, why are you changing the date of Easter again? <clears throat> That's the first thing that happened. The second thing was on television. Uh, have you noticed at Easter there are a lot of specials about Jesus and his disciples and the archaeological discoveries and so forth? Anyone paid attention to that? So I wasn't actually watching one of those specials. I was watching a newscast on one of the... Um, networks that was going to have one of those specials and the newscaster on the newscast was going to promote the special they were going to show a short clip of it and she said something like um, to tee up the clip she said and now as part of our upcoming special on Jesus stunning revelations about a gentleman Jesus evidently knew named Pontius Pilates <laughs> That's what I thought, too. <laughs> so just to set the record straight, um, Hallmark does not have anything to do with setting the date for Easter. Uh, it is what we call a movable feast, uh, and it's movable for a very simple reason. It's connected uh, intimately to the Jewish festival of Passover, and so when the early church set the date, it sort of moved it around based on when Passover was. It's a little more complicated than that, but that's the basic idea. Um, Again, Hallmark, not involved in that decision. Um, and I'm sure Pilates is a wonderful exercise regimen. It was not, however, created by a biblical character whose first name was Pontius. It was actually created in the 20th century by someone named Joe. <laughs> now those, again, they're sort of silly, but both of those underscore what I would call sort of a, a lack of understanding of our Christian heritage or Christian story. And that got me thinking about another event that happened about, oh, 10 or 11 years ago. This was at a time when a book called The Da Vinci Code was very popular. Does anyone remember The Da Vinci Code? Uh, by a man named Dan Brown. The Da Vinci Code, it very clearly says, a novel. But you may remember there was a lot of controversy around it because people were saying, oh my gosh, have you read Dan Brown's actual story of what really happened with the early church. I thought it was a great page-turning novel. As a history of the Christian church, it's not very helpful. Um, at about that time, though, I was listening to a Christian author. He was giving a talk which had nothing to do with the Da Vinci Code, but because it was a hot topic, um, in the Q&A, someone in the audience got up and asked this question. They said, uh, so Mr. Speaker, uh, when, when he meets his maker, 
will Dan Brown have to account for the lies he has told about Christianity? And the speaker thought for a minute and he said, well, I suppose that yes, Mr. Brown, like all of us, will have to account for what he has done. But then he added very quickly, he said, however, so will all the Christians who believed what he wrote, but should have known better. And I've never forgotten that. And I think Brown had a couple of points. One, most obviously, he was saying, look, we should know our own story well enough uh, that we aren't disturbed by novels like Dan, Dan Brown's. But I think he was also saying, you know, maybe this story that is so powerful has become so familiar that we have forgot its power, and so we turn to a novel like Dan Brown's to make it more exciting. That was the point of an of a author in the 20th century named Dorothy Sayers. She was really frustrated because she felt her culture, she was British, didn't really understand the power of the Christian story, which of course culminates at Easter. And she used to say, the dogma is the drama. In other words, we don't need to make this story more exciting. This story, the Christian beliefs, they're plenty exciting all on their own if we would just pay attention to them. The dogma is the drama. And of course, the, the center of that drama is Easter. But today, uh, I want to lift up one specific drama or do piece of dogma, which may come as a surprise to you, it may not, but it's sort of, I want to plant it as a seed to remind us that maybe we don't always know this story as well as we think we do, and this little seed I want to plant, we maybe will come back to later. Um, and because Christian dogma is most uh, quickly crystallized and distilled in the Apostles' Creed, I'm going to just read the Apostles' Creed to you. And the one little bit of dogma that I want to just pay attention to for a moment is towards the end. Uh, but I will read all of it. We, we picked this up in midweek Lenten services when we studied Martin Luther's small catechism. The Apostles' Creed, you may remember, is made up of three articles. The first is about God the Father. The second is about God the Son, Jesus Christ. The third is about the Holy Spirit and the Church. So this divine drama begins, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Right? So the drama begins with a loving God who makes us in all things. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. And the second article goes through very briskly a brief overview of Jesus' life. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered, suffered under Pontius Pilate, not Pilates, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again, what we are here to celebrate. He ascended into heaven he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. That's the second article about Jesus. Third article. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Now, you may have noticed we covered the resurrection of Jesus in the second article. On the third day, he rose again. So when we get to the third article and we talk about the resurrection of the body, whose bodies are we talking about? Ours. That's right. And I sometimes wonder, again, this is, I'm just planting a seed this morning, I wonder if we always realize this as a central doctrine of our Christian faith, that because Jesus has been raised from the dead bodily, resurrected bodily, so too also will we 
be raised bodily. And this means all kinds of things are true. It means that God's creation is good. It means our bodies are good. It means that we are not simply pure souls trapped in an ugly, uh, dirty body, which is not a Christian view. It is an ancient Greek philosophical view that has been uh, brought into Christianity incorrectly. It means that matter matters. It means that the creation which God made at the beginning of time and said it is good will one day, thanks to the resurrection of Jesus, become good again. And the miracle is that we get to participate in it. Now again, I'm just planting seeds this morning about this one little bit of dogma. I could say more about it, but to give the last word, I think I want to turn to Martin Luther. We've been turning to Martin Luther a lot this year. This is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Um, and Martin Luther, you may not know this, but he had a dog. The true story is dog he called Tolpol. Those of you who know German uh, will know that in typical Lutheran humor, as in Martin Lutheran humor, Tolpol translate as, translates variously as Dumkopf or blockhead or clumsy oaf or duffer or numbskull or fool. But Martin Luther loved his dog. And maybe nothing that I can say uh, affirms the resurrection of the body as a short statement Luther made to his dog, Topol. What he said was, Be thou comforted, little dog. Thou, too, in the resurrection, shall have a little golden tail. Be thou comforted, little dog. Thou, too, in the resurrection, shall have a little golden tail. And that little tail, maybe more than anything I could say, is a reminder of this great love story that we get to participate in and remember today, this love story between a God who loves his people, which is more romantic than anything Hallmark could come up with. It's more healing than a lifetime of Pilates, and it is far more exciting and adventurous than the craziest narrative that Dan Brown could imagine. And so on this day, when we remember this divine drama, I wish you and your four-legged creatures a very happy and blessed Easter. And I will leave you with this. If you were planning to write a note to Hallmark about the date of Easter, you don't need to mail that. <laughs> Amen.